Top stories this evening live from New York City. The Federal Reserve releases its July meeting minutes. What does it say about inflation? We have analysis. China's investments in Mexico are growing rapidly, and they're avoiding Trump's tariffs in the process. Bed Bath & Beyond stocks surging more than 300% this month. Why? That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Don Ma here for NTD Business. It looks like many Americans are keeping a close watch on their wallets. Retail sales in July were flat compared to the month before, according to a Wednesday report from the U.S. Census Bureau. This also marks a slowdown from June when retail sales increased by just under 1%. Analysts say consumers are spending more on basic needs and less on discretionary items. And on a related note, Target says profits plunged 90% during the second quarter, well below expectations. Target relies more on discretionary items compared to Walmart, which beat profit estimates for the same quarter. Target shares fell 3% today. Major indexes also closed in the red today, although they did cut some earlier losses after the Federal Reserve released its meeting minutes from July. More on that in just a minute. The Dow lost 172 points or half a percent. The S&P fell 31 points or 7 tenths of a percent. The Nasdaq dropped 164 points or 1 and 1 quarter of a percent. Now turning to the Fed minutes, the central bank says it doesn't see much evidence that inflationary pressures are easing. The minutes say there's a delay bringing down inflation with the Fed's tightening monetary policy, and it'll take some time, though they didn't say how long. They also said for some products, prices could still go even higher in the short run. They especially mentioned rent, saying it could have, quote, sizable additional increases. The Fed left plenty of room for future moves, saying it could slow down rate hikes at some point or even pause the increases. And to help us better understand the minutes, I spoke with Danielle DeMartino Booth. She's a former advisor to the Federal Reserve Bank of Dallas and the CEO of Quill Intelligence. She also wrote the book, Fed Up. Here she is. Danielle, thanks for coming on. So we know the Fed is determined to get inflation down to 2%, right? The minutes were released today. Danielle, to start off, what's your biggest takeaway from the minutes? Uh, really, it's that there's a little bit more flexibility among Federal Open Market Committee members than what I think a lot of investors had, had worried about going in. They suggest that there's the, the, the ability for them to pause going forward, and that's, that is a shift in, in, in their narrative. Right, right. They said that it would be appropriate at some point to slow the pace of rate increases, right? So does that mean we're, we've seen peak hawkishness from the Fed? Um, you know, I think it really remains to be seen because the one, the one area that we've not heard discussed very much is the Fed shrinking its balance sheet. And as we know from the 2018-2019 episode, that is its own separate form of tightening. So I think even if the Fed signals that it has finished raising interest rates or maybe it feels like it's come to a level that it considers to be neutral that in the background they still have said that the the shrinking of the balance sheet is going to be continuing now on the market it had four straight weeks of gains right do you think this is something powell will sort of look at and maybe continue tightening 
Well, certainly easing financial conditions gives Powell a much bigger license to indeed to do as you're saying, to keep tightening, to, to keep pushing forward, especially if we see consumers maintaining higher levels of inflation by doing things like splurging, spending on their credit cards. Uh, we obviously saw a big surge in online spending in the retail sales report as well. If we're not going to see that being ratcheted back, then Powell has every license, as I said, to go forward with and, and, and push through with the September, November, December meeting. I see. And one more thing on the market. What do you think of the reaction today? Clearly, there's a lot of confusion in the markets today. Uh, we, we've seen markets bounce all over the place from being very worried to almost giddy and, and back. So I, I think really what we're going to have to wait and see is what's going to happen with Jackson Hole and what's going to be discussed there, especially from the likes of Powell himself. All right. Just one last thing. The Fed is predicting predicting core PCE inflation to be back at its its two percent target in 2024. Is that something that that you expect? I think it's going to be very difficult to make that happen unless we go into a deep recession. And the odds of that happening are rising as we see one company after another announce that for cost cutting purposes they're laying off, they're reducing headcount. So we'd have to see a severe. Uh, reversal in a lot of these inflationary trends that we're seeing, especially in the housing market. All right. Thank you very much. Danielle DiMartino Booth, CEO, Quill Intelligence. Thanks for coming today. Thank you for having me. And turning to the UK, inflation surged to sky high 10.1% last month. It's the highest level since February 1982. Julian Satterthwaite reports. Prices are surging even higher in the UK. The country's inflation rate jumped to 10.1% in July. That's above all economist forecasts and the fastest rate since February 1982. Surging energy prices were the main driver. They've jumped since the start of conflict in Ukraine. It all has the Bank of England predicting a long but shallow recession. Some economists see parallels with the 1970s. Back then, Britain also faced stubborn inflation, a cost-of-living crisis and mounting worker unrest. Older Britons still remember the period of power cuts and shortages. But historian Alwyn Turner says political memories aren't so long. I think our problem now is a lack of knowledge. We don't have anybody around in politics who can remember what it was like with inflation. Certainly not in office, and indeed many of them not at all, because you know, this, is, this is quite a young generation of politicians we have now. In the early 1970s, a Conservative government tried to boost growth, but instead stoked inflation. An energy crisis led to talk of limits on home heating. Now the contenders to replace Boris Johnson as Prime Minister face a similar dilemma. Liz Truss says tax cuts are the best way to help. Rival Rishi Sunak says right now that would only make inflation worse. One of the two will win the top job in September and get the chance to see if their remedy is the right one. And remember the German energy company Uniper that took a big government bailout because of the natural gas crisis in Europe? Well, because of that crisis, it just posted a $12.5 billion net loss in the first half of the year. Uniper made the announcement today. It looks like the company is now paying the price for being Germany's largest importer of Russian gas. Moscow cut gas supplies earlier this year after the war. Flows through the Nord Stream 1 pipeline are down to just a fifth of normal levels. 
Uniper was forced to buy at higher prices elsewhere. And last month, the company took a $15 billion state bailout. Germany will now have a 30% stake in Uniper. The utility company said it expected a big deficit for the full year and might not be out of the deficit zone until 2024. Shares in the firm fell close to 10% before recovering some ground. Meanwhile, European countries are flocking to South Africa for coal. South Africa's coal sales to Europe rose eightfold in the first half of 2022. This is as Europe moves away from Russian coal in the light of the conflict in Ukraine. It's according to Johannesburg-based coal exporter Tangela Resources. It's according to Johannesburg-based coal exporter Tangela Resources. South Africa's profit for the first half of this year is 20 times bigger than the year before. The European Union's ban on coal imports from Russia took effect last week. And before the ban, the EU relied on Russia for nearly half of their coal. Bed Bath & Beyond has been in the spotlight for weeks when it comes to bad news. But in a turn of events, the company recently attained meme stock popularity status. NTD's Char Marshall has the story. Bed Bath & Beyond, Wall Street's newest meme stock craze, ended Tuesday up nearly 300% for the month. I had a look at Reddit form Wall Street Bets, the unofficial home of trending meme stock influence, to see what was going on. It's littered with memes and posts blindly or maybe strategically attempting to push the stock's popularity to the moon. I spoke with quantitative investment strategist Charles Chi about BBBY's stock getting highly shorted and making a comeback. And they in turn can make a profit off of that. But um, uh, what we need to be careful with is when they successively um, successfully do that, what does it mean to the valuation of the company and how uh, the valuation of the company after they are successfully able to you know, squeeze the short sellers uh, compared to the intrinsic value of the company. That's, that's the part that we need to pay more attention to. A jump in price of shorted shares can force bearish investors to buy back shares at a higher price to limit losses. The rush of demand from short sellers looking to exit bets pushes rising stock prices even higher, resulting in a short squeeze. But oftentimes uh, the short position, for example, in the case of Bat Bath & Beyond, it was half of, uh, half of the float. So that, that amount of short selling is quite excessive. And then uh, that does present opportunity to, to investors that you know, are confident that they can take the other side of the, the trade and then force the short sellers to, to cover, which would push the prices uh, higher. Shares of Bed Bath & Beyond surged 60% to a near five-month high in volatile trading on Tuesday as retail investors flocked to the stock. This after a filing revealed activist investor Ryan Cohen's latest bet on the home goods retailer. On Tuesday, more than 395 million shares traded hands according to FactSet. In comparison, only a single day in July had more than 20 million in trading volume. Sean Marshall, NTD News. And with midterms less than three months away, social media companies are once again implementing politics-related policies. Meta, which is the parent of Facebook, pledged to remove misinformation and invested $5 million into fact-checking. The misinformation could include anything from wrong dates, location, times, and methods of voting. And once again, posts that question the integrity of the election will be labeled. 
People will be redirected to Facebook's Voting Information Center, which has what Facebook deems is the correct information about the election. And TikTok is also taking action. It said today it will clamp down on content creators who give paid political messages. TikTok have banned political ads in 2019, but campaigns simply sidestepped the bans. They used influencers to spread their messages instead. The midterms are on November 8th. The nation's largest pro-abortion advocacy group, Planned Parenthood, is planning to spend a record $50 million ahead of November's midterms. It's pouring the money into races in which access to abortion will be on the ballot. The group's previous record was in 2020 when it spent $45 million. This year, it's spending even more after the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. The group saw a surge in donations after the Supreme Court decision. Abortion issues are on the ballots in a wide range of races, including governor's offices, U.S. Senate seats, and legislative races in nine states. Planned Parenthood says it will use the money to reach 6 million voters and drive turnout of Democratic and independent voters. A spokesperson for Planned Parenthood says, quote, for, the, for us, this really is the most important election cycle of our life. And remember those big tariffs former President Trump slapped on China a while back ago? Well, one way China has been avoiding them is by making things in Mexico instead and has stepped up those efforts by 76% last year. NDD's Colin Fredrickson reports. China is investing in Mexico in order to avoid U.S. tariffs, such as the 25% tariff former President Trump imposed on a wide variety of Chinese goods. We see them in, in the states of Nuevo León, Baja California, uh, Chihuahua, uh, Tamaulipas, all the northern border. Adrian Cisneros is the head of the Mexico office for law firm Harris Bricken. Cisneros says China is taking advantage of rules in the USMCA and Trans-Pacific Partnership trade agreements. We're going to have Mexican entities with Chinese capital, yes, but Mexican entities manufacturing Mexican products that can therefore benefit itself. China invested $606 million in Mexico in 2021, which is 76% higher than in 2020. China's investment so far play a, a, a minimal role. Enrique Dussel Peters is a professor at the National Autonomous University of Mexico. Peters says Mexico is a top foreign direct investment recipient and that China still invests far less than other countries. China's office has been investing mainly in the manufacturing sector, no, in auto automobiles, telecommunications, electronics, uh, historically and also more recently. No? Peters says this is because Mexico has been specializing in these things for the past 20 to 25 years. A lot of this is in what we'd call strategic investments, infrastructure, communications, ports, these areas that will give control and leverage over the recipient nation. Fergus Hodgson is the director of Econ Americas, a research firm that focuses on the Americas. He says China isn't just after profit, it also has expansionist ambitions. The leverage is becoming more and more apparent with the, the Chinese or Communist Party regime asserting itself and having an impact on local politics, including having let's say, trade zones within which they have a large degree of autonomy or, or jurisdiction. 
Over a thousand Chinese companies have invested in Mexico, and China has become its second largest import partner, behind only the U.S. Colin Fredrickson, NTD News. Still to come, don't go away. Airbnb testing new tools to cut down on house parties and property damage. And new brands of specialty coffees flood Brazil's domestic market. These high-quality beans are a hit at a local coffee festival. That and more coming up on NTD Business. And welcome back. Elon Musk said on Twitter Tuesday that he'll be buying English football club Manchester United. But just a few hours later, he said it was all but a joke. He replied to one user saying, nope, this is a long-running joke on Twitter. I'm not buying any sports teams. The Tesla CEO does have a history of erratic tweets on Twitter. He's currently trying to exit a $44 billion agreement to buy Twitter, which has taken him to court. Some Manchester United fans have urged Musk to buy the club instead of buying Twitter. Manchester United is one of the world's best-supported football clubs, and they've been English champions a record 20 times. But in recent years, fans have grown dissatisfied with the current ownership and perceived lack of ambition to bring in top players. Airbnb is taking action to cut down on parties and property damage. The short-term rental platform is testing new tools that screen people and determine if they're high-risk candidates in the U.S. and Canada. Officials will assess requests by looking at factors including length of stay and past reviews. If users are deemed high-risk, they will be prevented from booking entire homes. However, single rooms or hotel rooms will still be available. This technology has already been tested in Australia. The company says it reduced unauthorized parties by 35%. And General Motors is recalling hundreds of thousands of cars because of a seatbelt issue. The recall applies to 2021 to 2022 Cadillac Escalades, Chevy Suburbans, Tahoes, and GMC Yukons. The National Highway Traffic Safety Administration says some seatbelts could have a problem with the buckles. More than 485,000 cars are part of the recall. The carmaker hasn't reported any accidents or injuries yet from the issue. And moving on to Brazil. While most of the country's coffee production is exported, the domestic market is booming with new brands of specialty coffees. At Rio de Janeiro's coffee festival, these high-quality coffee beans are now the stars of the show. Here's more from NTD's Andrew Thomas. Brazil is the biggest producer of coffee in the world. There are around 200,000 coffee farms in the country. One of them is Goiabal, a coffee farm located 90 miles northeast of Rio de Janeiro. Coffee is fermented. This farm specializes in fermented coffee. This coffee here spent six days in a vat and is being brought here to the suspended dryer for drying. Erthal and her husband have been producing coffee since 2016. 
They're using large metal vats to ferment the beans to make them sweeter. The berries are then dried in the shade. Since the farm already had quality coffee, we thought, let's move into specialty coffee. Let us improve it and make it different. We started studying for a better understanding of specialty coffee. We tried fermentation, we participated in contests until 2021. Last year, we won the first national ABIC prize. It was the first time Rio State won that prize, and it was a great satisfaction to us here at the farm. In Rio de Janeiro, a popular coffee festival brings enthusiasts, coffee producers, new specialty coffee shops, and coffee professionals together. The Rio Coffee Festival is held at least four times a year. Patrick Portes is a qualified coffee grader. I go directly to the rural producers, visit them, check their setup, see if they have the situation for specialty coffee production, and guide them from the beginning of the flowering of the plant until the end, which is the harvest and drying of the coffee. He assigns a quality number to each coffee lot from 0 to 100. Specialty coffees need at least a very good grade of 80 to be labeled as such. Acidity, body, flavor, and aroma play a major role. People today are learning how to drink coffee. Before, coffee was consumed with sugar or sweetener, which removed the flavor, and people felt the taste of sugar. Specialty coffee doesn't need sugar, and it doesn't need sweetening. It's already sweet. That's why it's a specialty coffee. The Rio Coffee Festival will happen again on August 13th through the 14th. According to the Brazilian Coffee Industry Association, the number of certified brands of specialty coffee reached 287 in 2022, a 78% increase compared to 2019. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. And that's all the stories we have today from the NTD business team and myself, Don Ma. You can follow me on Twitter too. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, email us at business at ntd.com. That's all for today. Thanks for watching. We'll see you tomorrow.